Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I thought I'd bring in Mario Marfella. You all know Mario from Bondi Rescue. He's been a lifeguard with us at Bondi now for a fair few years, and he's so passionate about his lifeguarding. But this story he tells is about how he went on to learn about sailing yachts, where he got to do the Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race, which is one of the biggest yacht races in the world. So let's sit back and have a listen to Mario's story. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, he's been around before with Beach Banner, but I've got him in because he has achieved something that I think is unbelievable to achieve. So we're going to talk about that today. So welcome, Mario. Hey, Hoppo. Thank you for having me. Yeah, mate, it's good to have you in. And we're going to talk about not lifeguarding, but we're going to talk about your achievement of doing the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. Now, we'll go back to the beginning and let listeners understand why you got into that and how it all started those years ago. Yeah, up there. Yeah, recently I just did the Sydney to Hobart. It's been a big achievement for me. It's all started. I think. Look, I always had this in in my blood, kind of like when I was living back in Italy. I was I started windsurfing. You know. That's pretty big in Italy, sailing um, a little bit. Eventually, what happened, like in in Australia here, when I, I was off season uh, from lifeguarding, we we didn't have the job all year round. We we need to do, we need to you know keep going and um, pay the bills with something. So I found this job on a yacht. It was on a on a dock. This uh, one of these matches at at the time was called Loyal Perpetual. Me and another guy we. Got employee from this company is called Yacht Mod. They do modification on yachts and uh, look after lots of boats in the, in the Sydney Harbour. Anyway, and yeah, I got him. I got this job sent to the North Kid. These maxis, hundred footer. <laughs> when I saw this boat the first time, I thought, holy moly, this is a pretty big job, you know, to do it in two. In two persons, it's gonna take us ages for sure. I'm gonna cover these three months of of semi work, not working on the beach. <laughs> All right, you know, yeah. boom, unsafe. <laughs> I can pay the bills. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So like, started work on this on this project, and basically, I was rocking up every day at the Bullich Marina, which is pretty cool. Um, marina is one of the oldest, I think. Never seen it before. Pretty cool. Um, they used to bring in the ships and um, close the, 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 the gate and empty the water and then re, refit all the, 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 the ships at the time. So yeah, we had these maxis on, dock, on, the, on the dock and then start sending every morning, every day with this machine for hours and hours. You know, me and this other guy, it's called Ben, which I've seen recently because I've been, uh, we tell you later, I sail back together from Orbat with him and uh, yeah so sort of I met this person in charge which is now is my best mate for this project and uh, it's called Flano John Flannery that you had on your podcast too amazing sailor one of yeah, the best I, sailors I, I um, chatted to him in a, a few episodes before and yeah and, uh, so at that stage did you think okay I'm seeing the boat I'm going back to being a lifeguard <laughs> in three months was there any interest then that look I might go and do some sailing or it was only after you spoke to Flano? Yeah, look, I just seen this boat under my feet, under my hands. I saw Flano and I asked him, hey, how you get into this? I would love to, you know, sail one day on one of these things. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you, yeah. You, sorry, 
on the right spot, but I don't know if you're using the right things to, to you know, to, to be able to sell this thing. And then uh, he said, look, I can give you, I can take you with me sometimes, I'm sailing in the harbor for the twilight, but what I can possibly try to get you on, it's um, doing some deliveries on Blackjack. Um, uh, uh, at the time he was on Lawyer Perpetual and then he went on Blackjack, but then he said, yeah, you can come with me if something happened. By the time it happened, so I start to do the delivery with him. But as he as he said to me, you started from the top, but you need to learn your uh, your way the other way around, you know, from the bottom to the top. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> and and um, I said, all right, I will, I will start at some stage, you know, like to learn the basic. And he introduced me in the ABBA to some other owners and I start to do the twilights slowly with the delivery on blackjack I start to build my experience so that was look probably like four years ago now like really four years ago so not that long ago I would say and when you were delivering like for blackjack and that just where was that from were you is it still in Australia you're coming you know flying in and bringing the boat back whereabouts was that and how far did you have to travel yeah, look at the boats. Blackjack home for Blackjack is Brisbane. So at that time, my first trip was from Brisbane to Sydney. So I flew into Brisbane, and the next morning we start bringing back Blackjack. And the first delivery, I didn't have much experience on offshore sailing, and I, we found this condition with motor sail. Pretty much the old trip. There wasn't much wind. There was nice weather. I remember, and the the, the sailors uh, came on board. There was quite a few, you know, famous sailors from Australia and very well known in the, in the sailing world. They say, oh, unfortunately, we can't show you that much. There's not much wind and this and that. I thought, oh wow, I was in the middle of the ocean and uh, on these big boats. And for what experience now? And what could be the first experience with me? I was lucky enough to experience just motor sailing, you know, like to to get my my myself into something th- that big, you know, which I didn't have experienced before. And I'm I say, oh wow, now they are know what's going on. At the time, if it would be like wind and windy enough, it would be different story. Maybe I wasn't I wasn't ready, but. I, I could still make it, of course, but it would be different experience, mm. of course. And then from that, that day, so four years ago, I start beyond all time. I keep my availability, you know, and I say, look, I really want to chase this dream. I want to race. I want to learn how to sail properly. And and then I put always my hands up and I really build my relationship with all, with all the crew from Blackjack. And yeah, put the hard work into anything I have to to be done, I uh, was, you know, like, try to learn straight away. I remember the next time I was going to do it, what, what, what I have to, you know, like, put into. And, yeah. And what jobs or duties did they get you to do at the start? Like, would they be, you know, putting the masks <laughs> up? Or how much did they trust you at that stage? <laughs> Look, at the, at the start, not not much, you know, like, like anything, especially on this on these boats, it's like very expensive boats. Like there is a lots of things happening. You have to be careful where you put your finger, you know, your hands. So I, the start, I was the chef, of course, as an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Only cooking pasta. <laughs> bit, a bit like when you uh, started as a lifeguard. We wouldn't let you touch the rescue boards, but we made you uh, cook lunch every day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Love, love, love. Always love with you. <laughs> no, no, look, like, at the start, obviously, like, physical, you know, moving things around, like, sales around, and looking, things uh, need to be set it up uh, for the trip. To tell you the truth, also, like, uh, straight away, like, because we're going even on deliveries, you have to follow the watch system, so you get turns on the boat uh, with, the, with the other crew, and so you're sharing the, the driving as well on the helm and and on the delivery, it's not a race. So you're not looking for speed. So you don't have to, you know, like 
do that many maneuvers you do you do when you, when you race. So, so, but you're still pulling sometimes hand ropes and uh, learn how to, you know, control the main, sometimes the jeep. And anyway, uh, look, the first times I was just watching most of the time and listening what they were telling me what to do. And then just I learned by listening and putting practice what they were telling me. And then, yeah, basically what happened, I'll start getting better and better to the point now that just recently with last trip I did from Hobart, I came back with them on Blackjack, the winner of the last season to Hobart. I just go ready the main up on the mast with another guy. So kind of these things which I, I didn't even know at this when I started how to how to do it. Now I got to that point. So they they trust me, yeah, which is good. And I can show them my experience also coming in from other uh, uh, race because I start race after I want to chase this dream and um, Flandre, my friends, put me in the right direction. So I start racing in, in the twilight in the harbour, which is uh, like just from the sailing club, from Rush Gathers, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, pretty much. Monday is a spinnaker race, so we put the spinnakers up. So look, I start to do that on a far 40, which is um, very well-known boat all around the world. It's one design uh, boat, 40 footer. They're pretty fast. And with Jason King, he's a really good man. And Mary, a couple, uh, they on this boat. It's called Solimar. I got the experience on that one. Start doing some race on the J70 with some some Italian friends. <laughs> <laughs> all, 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 all the crew was Italian. So they could understand. So they could actually understand you, could they? Or, or you know, on that boat? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we can understand each other. To the point we run at the ground. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm joking. So how hard was it when you were doing the races? Then, and, and it's a different story, you know, when you're cruising back in the in the yachts, bringing a yacht back to then actually doing a race because a bit more pressure on you, isn't it, when you're racing? Yeah, totally different from when you cruise and deliver a boat from when you race it. So I got into this race and just look, last year I wasn't, what I was dreaming when I started sailing on Blackjack, I thought, oh, maybe one day I would like to give it a go to the Sydney to Orbat. And then what happened, it just came up this opportunity. They were looking for a crew on a TP-52 called Smuggler, which I'm part of now. I'm part of the crew as a grinder and I start racing last year building my experience with them on the offshore race so I did all the series last year before the Sydney tour so how many races you had to do like obviously you had to train up they put you in the crew how many races did you have to do and and how much experience you needed before you could do the city to Hobart well look I'm fast learner maybe i'm good and then you know like it's in my blood it took me like just a couple of months of race pretty much every weekend and plus all as i say all the experience i've done in the last four years not only on this boat offshore racing but in the harbor and other type of boats of course so look i reckon like it's been like in the last four years i built this experience to the level to do the, my first Sydney to Hobart. How did you find the difference between, you know, your harbour racing and then the ocean racing? Is there a lot of difference between the two? Yes, look, that's something really different. A harbour is pretty safe to sail. You you don't get that big ocean and the strong wind that you get out there. That's a really different. You have to get in, in, in your mind, on your body, because... The wind is, is like completely different strength and it just makes you react in a different way when you're on the boat offshore. And inshore, it's pretty safe, still quite challenging. Sometimes you get very, you know, shifty wind, um, but not so dangerous like it can be when you sail offshore. And when you race offshore, we race in the Sydney to Hobart, for example, for days. In the harbour, you just sail for a few hours and, and that's it. We don't have the watch system. 
which uh, if you don't know what it is, a watch system is, um, so you take turns when you're on, on, on deck and then you get to rest below the deck. After a few hours, you come back. After a few hours, you have a rest. You come back on deck and you're back on your roll or you swap with other and uh, help everyone around as well. So yeah, from racing, from the, going back to your question, when you, when you cruise and when you race, it's all about speed. It's all about getting fast, the boats. Everyone have to react really fast. Safety is the biggest things in yachting. And that's what I learned a lot. You wanna go as fast as you can. So the difference when you sail cruising, you look at the sails and you try to trim. So adjust the sails at the best as you can to get the maximum speed for the boat. That's what you want. And you push the boat at the maximum level, if you can. So when you're pushing maximum level, obviously things can break on the boat, you know, sails and masts and all that, and your safety. Have you had any close, like near misses? Have you seen something that's, God, geez, that was close? Yeah, a few oysters of the spinnaker sometimes. Uh, and then maybe, I don't know, like it's some, sometimes you get, get caught up in things and because we rush so much, maybe sometimes you can lose that little concentration on where the sails can get stuck. And then sometimes we, we snap things and we break, we break sails. I've seen that. Also like a very close to other boats at the start of the race. They can be really, really dangerous, you know? When we tack, we can do maneuver really quick and then things can break, especially in strong wind. So you need you need sort of like still still doing things fast but really carefully. You know, you don't wanna do that really sharp, sharp turn or for 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 the for the crew for the safety of the crew and the equipment on the boat you know they can yeah damage really really serious so yeah that that can happen yeah now when was the time that you got told that you're gonna do the city to hobart on smuggler when they said you're in the crew and we're now going to do the race yeah look this dream came unexpected i wasn't chasing as i said i said if comes the opportunity there one day I'm going to ask maybe if I think that I'm, I'm able to. And look, they put this message out on Facebook, believe it or not, <laughs> on this uh, group chat and on Facebook. And um, they were looking for, for people, fit people, strong and fit, and be able to sell with already a bit of experience. And I messaged back to this, this guy, which is the navigator, Steve. Hey, Steve. I said, hi, Steve. He's a really good guy. Um, and then I went for the first time on a trial on um, Twilight. And they put me on the grinder. They saw me. I am just uh, did my best. <laughs> well, you are the uh, you are known as the Italian Adonis, aren't you, really? Look. The Italian? The Italian? What? <laughs> the Italian Adonis, the big, the big Italian man. The big Italian man, right. <laughs> Just on the paper. No. <laughs> no, look, I'm fit. I'm very fit. I'm very lucky that I'm a lifeguard and I'm, you know, we train every day in the water. It gives you the best fitness level. May don't look at the biggest guy, you know, as a grinder, but that doesn't mean anything. Again, lasted really long. My my stamina it's very high, you know. And once I'm on the on the pump, I can really keep my best. And it's not like just uh be strong as a grinder is also like you 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 need to look at what you what you grind means what you you kind of like a trimmer trimmer means who is the person who is adjust the sales to get the best speed so when we go closer to the race i remember you know you're working at the beach and, and we're right in the the midst of covid and everybody was coming down with covid and it was spreading and I remember that you were doing tests all the time and people were dropping out of the of the, the race in, in other boats. Now, when you're getting close, what was what was the feeling when you, you got to that day, you made it to the morning? 
what was the excitement in, in I'm about to get on the boat and start the city to Hobart? Yeah, it's such a good feeling. You cannot believe it because of building the experience previously, you know, doing the, the, every weekend the, the, the race on Smuggler, just start to think, oh my God, this is getting real. And then how I'm going to do this? I'm going to do this race, which is pretty big race. What the condition is going to like? All this pandemic. Uh, lots of my friends start getting COVID. I, I, I start thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it because, you know, all the crew, all of us, we didn't know if we were going to make it. We didn't know if we had COVID and we were getting tested before. And then suddenly, like, we all good. We are ready to go. The body is ready to go. And uh, the morning of the rise, I think, oh, my God, this is, this is happened for real. <laughs> I'm frothing. I had, I, I can't describe what before still on land. I still not really understand what was happening. Once we left the dock and we start to go in the harbor and uh, get ready for the start, it just my 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 adrenaline start pumping really really high. I start feeling my adrenaline really really high. And what's the start like? Like, okay, the, the, you said before it's pretty hectic. I've watched it on TV. I've paddled out on my surf ski and, and had a look at the start over the years. But you know how hectic is it that start heading out the city heads? Yes, the start is a proper, like full on adrenaline experience. It's like everything has to be done perfectly. You don't want to make mistakes. You want to be at the starter with the fastest, you know, starter possible. You want to have the max speed possible. You want to get it right. So everyone has to be really careful what they're doing and listening at the tactician, the skipper, the navigator, and just 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 pretty simple. Let's say we know what the starter is gonna like, and everyone is in position. We're ready to hoist the spin again. It was a suddenly started. We knew it was a run up to the mark. They were pretty, pretty fast boat with us because we were the first starter. So we were starting with the maxis. So my boat's got TP52, 52 foot long. So we, we part of the first fleet to leave the harbor with the maxis. It was a fast starter, very fast start. And my adrenaline was, a, I never experienced something like that. I was screaming, right? I was screaming. <laughs> So loud, and everyone was saying, <laughs> "My, what's going on?" <laughs> I was so excited, I could not keep up with my emotion, you know. Like, and I remember to hoist. We were hoisting the spinnaker the fastest ever possible, and we did really well. We had on, on the side the uh, URM, which is a seventy-eight footer yacht, and they were having some challenging with us. They, they couldn't keep up the starting with us. It was pretty cool. And then the other TP52, really competitive TP52, when we got at the first mark, obviously the maxis were around the first. We sort of came like first. I remember there was other two TP52 in front of us. And then all the other TP, which is, they were eight in, in the fleet. They were behind us. So we were pretty good at the start. It was really fast. And uh, look, I remember it's kind of like uh, I was like um, subconscious. I don't know. I was living that moment, but I wasn't really there because it was all happening very fast. We got right everything, all the maneuvers really, really, really fast and really well. So, yeah, it was pretty good. So the race starts at like 1 p.m. in the afternoon. So you cruise through the afternoon. You're heading into a southerly, like you said. But then it starts getting dark, you know. You've done, what, eight hours or, or so. What's the nighttime like out there in the middle of the ocean and it's pitch black? You probably can't see land. What's that experience like? Yeah, look, Hopper, when you leave, we left the harbour. We start going out. So as I said, the race... This year, last year, was really one of the Sydney to Hobart, the real Sydney to Hobart, because we had for two good days, strong southerly. I had, we saw 40, 40 plus knots out there. 
very bumpy ocean and a lots of boats had lots of problem. And um, look, you start going out really wide, you lose the sight of the land and they're just in the middle of the ocean. Your, your land is your boat. It's just that 52 foot of boat and the other humans you have is the, your crew, 15, uh, 14 people around you and that's it. Um, it's really, it's really beautiful emotion. I love it. I love to be lost and don't see land. It's, it's just, it's calm, make me calm, like make me relax and chill. It's just feeling the, the, the elements. That's what I do. Um, that's what I'm feeling. The, yeah, the night, it's really calm in a way because it's sort of like you just go with the, with, with the feeling of your, of, of your body with the elements. So you just, you can't see, you lose the side, side and then and the, what you can see, just the little lights on the boat and, and that's it, nothing else. So it's really emotional. What happened out there, we start basically after a few hours of race, we start getting our watch system on. So we take turns on deck and below the deck. So we start to having a rest a little bit. What happened? You're going downstairs, you try to have your sleep, you're so tired, you crush sometimes, not even get the time to get on your bunks. And you just sleep even on the, on the sails, on the, on the whatever it is, you know, a sails and make you feeling you in your bed. That's that's what happened. Yeah, it's really different from the night you spend on land in your bed in your bedroom. So you have to adapt to yourself in a in a very uncomfortable positions, and uh, it's all pretty wet. You know, you don't take off your clothes because you know they after a couple of hours you have to go back up. So you don't have that much time to take off your clothes. Just, yeah, you sleep with all your clothes and boots and everything on. And then basically you're going up and you're on again. Actually, uh, this is um, maybe like something that like you, you wouldn't believe. You can fall asleep on the rail as well. So you can sleep while you're racing on, on, up on the deck. And you just fall asleep because you see, so if you don't do anything on on the boat, you what happen? We moving weights from one side or the other of the boat, and when we are going upwind, so we sitting on the rail and we we sleep, we fall asleep on the rail. Unbelievable! <laughs> unbelievable! <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Is that because you're so tired, or because obviously the you know the swirl, the boat's moving around, and you know there's people moving around that are still working on the boat, but is it just the exhaustion that you just crash straight out? Yeah, look, it's, yeah, you get really tired. It's the exhaustion of your, what, it, what happened, it's your body needs to adapt to this different movement that you have, in, you know, around you, on, under your feet. And, and then you're, you're obviously when you land, you, you watch in front of you, it's all, flat when you are there it's all moving and especially with 40 plus knots wind which happened last time this race and the ocean is very bumpy the boat you know goes up and down up and down all time and waves crashing was raining for two days non-stop into your eyes you know like you get cold you get to move things around we did some uh change that change sails that was something like pretty cool to experience in 40 plus knots go up on the bow help the bow the bowman as a grinder we if we're on grinding um we're helping um the others you know like uh, the bowman especially bringing up sails and and change sails and that was really something challenging it was pretty cool. <laughs> we were locked in on the harness and with the life jackets and tried to do that with the waves crashing on the, we had water submerged underwater doing that. It was pretty challenging and tiring. Now I was, I was watching you on the tracker. We were tracking you the whole way and you know, what was it like going across Bass Strait? But it was quite close. All the, the other boats that you're in with were, were all racing very close together and at one stage, I think when I looked, you actually winning the uh, handicap category. Yeah, amazing. Up when I got to know that, and then 
we didn't know. Like we sort of like came up here in close and complained some others that they were a bit wider than us. And the bus trade was um, actually, it's very well known for rough sea, you know, and very dangerous, but it can be a lovely place too. And it happens to be a really nice place at the time. And yeah, we start to change our tactics. Instead of going close to Tasmania, we, we start to going wider again and we start to get a quite good speed. And then suddenly we were first in front of, on the handicap, we start to do the best time. And we were coming in before Ichiban and Celestio and everyone else. And we thought, we didn't know at the time. We didn't know. We, we didn't know. And then uh, I remember actually because I connect this after the race that someone told us because we start to get a really good speed. I remember I was on the ground and that coincidence happened. I remember the speed that we were doing. We sort of got into on the side of this high pressure. We were trying to avoid to get stuck on that, on that high pressure. So we start coming in wide. And we were, there was a bit of a, actually southwest, but then across on this eye was a bit of a history. We must got that really good. And we were doing 16 knots with the spin again, 16, 18, sometimes touching 18 knots. I was looking at the speed and I'm watching the spin again. I was on the grinder and looking at the spin again, make sure that I wasn't dropping one centimeter of the spin again down to let the boat have the max speed with the trimmer. We were working so well to the point he wasn't even calling me trim on. He was just easing and I was trimming straight away, the, uh, spin again when you need to. And the driver, the, uh, the, the sp skipper on the helm, we're doing really, really well. It must be there. But what happened, we cut across again a bit too early. We thought, oh, we may, you know, get into Tassie before anyone. We may cut a bit too earlier, and uh, what happened? Like we we start losing a bit of a bit of a speed that we park a little bit too much in this high pressure, and we stop for four or five hours. I remember in the bus trade, and we had t-shirts, shorts. Was summer times, beautiful weather. You know, after two days of bad weather, we need to start again to get this boat the speed, and eventually, what happened? We we got into Hobart and we finished the race in the sixth place for the Andiga, which was a really, really, really good result for my first, you know, Sydney to Hobart. Yeah, it's a magnificent effort. It's yeah, six in the handicap. I think eighth overall, I think, wasn't it, for, for yeah, the uh, line honours, which is a, a great achievement to get into that top ten. Now, what was it like on the, when you finished? If, uh, and how long did it take you? Was it around four days? Yeah, to be exact, it was um, three days, 11 hours. Yeah, the correct time was four days uh, at the end because it, we have the handicap time, so it makes different. But three days, three days, 11 hours, something. So we, we started, we left on the 26th at 1 and we got done in Obat midnight on the 29th. Was really emotional. Like uh, we had a few of the logistic crew that were waiting for us, and uh, we start hearing the screaming, "Smug out the smugglers! Yes, yes, you made it!" And and it was so nice. You know, it was really calm. It was um, amazing, amazing feeling. And what happened? Like uh, we start celebrating. We had pies and beers and because it was my first first one uh, some of the guys that butt, butt pies me and so they got me and they throw me in the water <laughs> <laughs> and that was um, was really really cool it was so fun I remember everyone was having a good time you know we were hugging each other and, and celebrate and yeah it was really Long celebration. I remember we finished at six. Some, someone finished at nine in the morning. Celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to burn myself for straight away. I had a few days down there, so I, I didn't hold. I didn't, you know, keep myself from celebrating. But yeah, and then I had a few hours sleeping after, and then yeah, I remember 
my first my first breakfast I had I had the had a cheeseburger and a ramen coke. <laughs> <laughs> a bit a bit different from my from my usual usual breakfast afterwards. <laughs> well mate after after being <laughs> on a boat that long you deserve it. So you know yeah. you, and then you had New Year's Eve down there, um, celebrated there and and then they um put you on blackjack to bring that back to Sydney. Yeah, so what happened I, I couldn't do the delivery on Smuggler. I was booked already with Blackjack, which is Finally, the winner of the last Sydney to all, but amazing. I'm so happy for them, you know, be part of the crew, you know, like and know the boats and know all the, the race they've been through and the, the, the hard time they've been through, you know, they, they were just made, making on time the boat because they, they had the, an accident on the last race this year, the, the Brisbane to Glaston where they damaged the mast and they had to rebuild the mast and everything and get ready the crew before the race qualify for the race someone had the covid they, anyway they just made and the boat was in perfect condition perfect everyone was frothing you know they made they, they won the sydney door but i was so happy so i came back from blackjack and we had a bit of a saddle a bit of push from behind us and then took us a couple of days two and a half days and yeah, it was cruising, cruising trip. I didn't know. I met Ben again, which was the guy who I started working on Loyal Perpetual. We were fixing, as I said, the nose kid on the on the Loyal Perpetual, and we did that job on the hundred foot. And uh, I met him again. It was a long time I haven't, I didn't see him, and we start talking again of the old days and. It was pretty cool meet the crew, you know, they were froth, they were in good spirit after this winning. And uh, also they they asked me how was my race finally, you know, like not being part of someone that did the race as well. They they know me, my experience, I built my experience just in a few years and they say, Mario, we're so happy for you, you know, like you did really well. You were close to win. Wow. So yeah, for me, look. What I want to tell you about this experience, it's just been a, a dream that came true, you know, another dream that came true after, you know, be a lifeguard in Australia on Bondi and being an Italian on the Sydney to Hobart, be part of this crew on this boat, a very challenging boat, you know, competitive boat and racing with this, you know, experienced people. It's such a good experience for me. What I want to tell, I want to say thank you to all the people that support me. You won't believe what was the best things. I did not check, obviously, the phone for three, three and a half days or whatever. And then all these messages and all the boys from work, really, my family, the boys from work, you included, lots of close friends. But the boys from work, they, they gave me the support and they say, my be be someone from the lifeguard service that does this as an Italian first Italian life uh, Italian lifeguards for the Bonda lifeguards do this is a big achievement. It just step us uh, like in you know in the next next level of ocean men, you know water men, and like what a great achievement. And then listening that comments after watching all the comments they send it to me and to all the phone calls mario we've been following you every day on the tracker go smuggler go mario amazing amazing feeling amazing yeah mate well yeah it's an incredible effort mate you should be proud of yourself we're all proud of you and uh it's an experience you'll you'll keep forever and thank you you know it's, yeah, a, it's i'm so stoked for you that you've uh, been able to achieve it now, Mario, at the end of the interview, I always uh, get some questions. It's called Five Fun Facts. Now, I just put some questions together, and I'm just going to throw them at you, and you can answer them however you want. The only thing that you can't do is you can't answer them in Italian. <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> Come on. You should... although, although my Italian listeners will probably love that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. Come All on. Right. Here we go. Here we go. We must, we must. Uh, if you were a DJ, what would your name be? A DJ? Yeah. But you know I'm a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, 
you love you think uh, yeah i love i love djing uh yesterday i do love djing and i think my name could be uh maybe dj we must <laughs> <laughs> because i love it we must we must you know dance we must listen to music yeah dj we must <laughs> that could be good yeah. do you have a party trick Oh, wow. Yes, I do. Uh, I have a couple of ones. I can dance my belly. <laughs> <laughs> That's I can do some card trick, like a magician trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my trick. That works. What are you most proud of? Oh, good question. I'm most proud of uh, what I am now, basically. Basically, what I'm... I'm a given person, but I know, of course, how to defend myself if I'm feeling attacked by someone. And uh, be a lifeguard, be a waterman, a sailor. You know, it's um, it's a good inspiration for what I can see because of this. Lots of people, and especially the young generation, they they like me. They would like, you know, be maybe one day what I, what I, what I am, you know, like just, uh, just be what I am, and especially with lifeguarding, I inspire some so many young kids, and um, and uh, they, they, yeah, they would love achieve that as well in in their life, and I'm very proud of where I am at the moment, with what I've done in my life at the moment, and where I live. The people that I'm being that they, they are they, uh, is around me, my family. You know, they are share the stories and the experience with them. They're very proud of me. I think uh, also with what I want to do in the near future. So I'm very happy. I'm very proud where I am now in my life. Uh, favorite food when you are drunk. You know, I'm Italian, but I surprise you. <laughs> I love Mexican. I love Mexican. <laughs> I love Mexican so bad. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I love the burrito, the nachos, the chili con carne, the quesadillas. It's so easy to do it to ever. Yeah, when yeah, I think when you're drunk, you can put it in a fry pan, a little tortilla, a bit of a cheese, a bit of a chili, a bit of a lime. You know, that's it. That's Mexican. I think. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. Yeah, perfect. Uh, what would you name your boat if you had one? Ah, nice, good. I would like to name. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you in English and I'll translate in Italian. I would like to name. Uh, uh, it's called uh, in in English Mistro, which is a type of wind that we call in, uh, in Europe. That's coming from the northwest. It's in Italian. It's called maestrale. So yeah, it, 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 it's a, one of the predominant wind that we have in, uh, in in Europe, in Italy especially. So I would like to call Mistro maestrale. Ah, maestrale. Yeah. Maestrale. Maestrale. See, I can speak yeah. Italian. See. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you are my maestro. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Alfred. <laughs> Thanks, Mario, for coming in the Beach Shack, mate. It's always great to have a chat. Is there anyone, mate, you'd like to thank after this unbelievable effort that you have just achieved? Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Hoppo, for having me in, in your podcast. Yeah, look, first of all, I would like to say thank you to you for letting me go in the busiest time of lifeguarding that we have in summer times at Christmas time. That was gold, you know, like have the chance to go and do this in, the, um, in that time. Thank you. Look, also, I would like to say thank you to John Flannery, always to, you know, for, to be there for me and to show me, to pass me all the knowledge that he have and basically to put me in, always in the right direction. Also, I want to say thank you to all my brothers from the lifeguard service that really been uh, supporting me a lot with all messaging and before the start, like everyone was cheering for me. And every time, Mario, are you ready? We can't wait to see you out there. And just that gave me a lot of more energy, you know, for this race. 
And also I want to say thank you, obviously, the owner uh, of Smuggler, uh, Sebastian and Jennifer and all the crew. And also I want to say thank you to all my friends and family uh, for the support I had. Uh, it's been amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. Now let's go to Beach Banner. Okay, it's great to have back in the Beach Shack, Laurie Williams, Loza, known as the Bondi Historian as well. How are you, mate? Good, mate. All good on my front. Good to be here. Over the years, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of bravery awards handed out because that's our professional job. So to do something, you need to do it way above what we're expected to do. But... I was lucky enough to work with Corey Adams and Alan Mulroy, and they both received a Bravery Award before my time with the rescue they did. Can you tell us a bit about the story and the history of any other Bravery Awards we've had at Waverley? Well, we'll start with Corey and or Alan and, and Corey's uh, effort it was 30 of de- December 1988. And there was a, a, a huge groundswell running of between three to five metres and a young surfer got himself in trouble at the north end of the beach. He actually got swept almost a half a kilometre out to sea. Now, the surf was that big back in those days. And, and you have to remember, there were no jet skis. We did have a rubber ducky uh, down in the lifeguard storage area. Of course, that required two people, but that wouldn't have got through the sea that was running. That's how big and how nasty it was out there. Rescue board was out of the question as well and calling in the helicopter probably not in the first instance because um, time was running short for this guy, this young young fellow who was um, in trouble, as I said, half a kilometre out by the time he got swept all the way out. Anyway, uh, Alan and Corey decided to put on a set of flippers each and swim out with rescue tubes they lost sight of each other once they got out the back beyond the break. And when I say beyond the break, it was breaking erratically. Uh, so it could have, you know, huge waves could have popped up anywhere. That's how dangerous it was. Alan managed to get to the, to the young patient and swam him all the way through that surf, through those conditions, swam him all the way back to the beach. Corey, who'd lost sight of the pair of them, eventually got into the beach as well. And from what I understand, uh, a member of the public nominated Alan and Corey for bravery awards um, in what was considered over and above outstanding heroism. Al received the bravery medal, which is the the, the highest honour that you can confer upon a person for... um, he did and Corey received a bravery citation that was back in 1988 prior to that as you pointed out rightly so you know it is a profession where day-to-day rescues resuscitations and and what have you uh, considered to be a part of the the profession however as early as the 1920s into the 1930s and probably a little bit further on the royal Shipwreck and Humane Society, which was the predecessor of, of the, the, the federal and state governments giving out their awards, they gave out silver and bronze medals for acts of bravery. And I know that lifeguards or beach inspectors, as they were known, particularly back in the 1920s, received, you know, one in particular, Stan McDonald, he received three silver medals for bravery in rescuing people and on at least two out of those three occasions there was a shark in the vicinity so he put his life at great risk not just because of the surf conditions but also because of you know having a shark in the vicinity and of course he 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 didn't even consider that for one moment you know his mission was to get the patient back to shore So we do have a long and distinguished history of bravery awards within the lifeguard service. Yeah, I mean, it's a a great history to have and you've done a lot of work, you know, and and the episodes that we've done on the history has been unbelievable. And, uh, you know, as you said, there's uh, so much out there and so much history around Bondi and it's great that uh, people are, are getting educated in all this 
and so quickly forgotten, but, you know, our mission is to make sure that it's not forgotten and to remember those who dug the wells so that we could drink the water, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's uh, great having you in the beach shack. Uh, we'll catch up soon. It's always a pleasure. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's mailbag is from Brendan and he asks, there was a fatal shark attack uh, during the week. Has this occurred before? Well, Brendan, no it hasn't. The eastern suburbs, which is uh, basically Bondi all the way through to Malabar and Little Bay, uh, Little Bay is where the incident happened. Now, normally, uh, there's a lot of swimmers that swim the beaches. That area in Little Bay is not patrolled uh, by lifeguards. Now, a lot of people swim there, a lot of people snorkel, a lot of people spearfish and fish off the rocks. Now, we haven't had a shark attack on these eastern beaches probably for six decades now, but it's tragic that this has happened, and uh, condolences to the person's family but uh, it has been a long time and we all know especially as surfers that we're going into the ocean and we are going into the shark's territory apparently the shark was about four and a half meters which potentially would be a great white shark and they do travel up and down the coastline so this is something that uh, we always keep an eye on I mean I do a lot of ocean paddling and I see a lot of sharks out in the ocean but uh luckily none have come up to affect me thanks everyone for listening remember to subscribe to life's a beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes that's it for today beach fans stay safe and swim between the flag Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.